0: Ben Shulman, one of the early season storylines we discussed for this Blue Jays team was how their approach at the plate seemed more mature, right? How they were manufacturing runs. And man, did we ever see that today. Like I I think we actually saw one of the what is more one of the more aesthetically pleasing plays, especially from our vantage point up here in the radio booth, but the double steal, right? We saw oh, that yeah. in the in the 7th inning with Kiermaier and Springer in uh, in perfect synchronicity. We just got a lot of very, as, as Arden and Ben were discussing, a lot of very solid defensive play on offense as well, and uh, great stuff today in a 5-2 win.
1: Yeah, the Blue Jays kind of did a couple different things, even though they didn't hit a home run. They had some power with at least some extra base hits. They actually weren't the most powerful, especially the ones – off the bat of Kevin Kiermaier, but they used a lot of speed. Kiermaier specifically turning a single into a double. Witt Merrifield stole three bases today. That's the second time in about the last week he has stolen three bases in a single game. He did it once in Pittsburgh as well. He has really shown up and kind of led from the front as one of their top stolen base guys. I mean, they they chipped away. They found a way to get each run back that they needed
0: to with some big Boba shed hits. There were a lot of different contributors today. It was a good game. That is Ben Shulman. I'm Ali. Welcome to Jay's Talk, of course, across the Sportsnet radio network. We are streaming live on Sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app as well. We're taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open, 416-870-0590, 888 590 590 star 590 on your cellular device. And then, of course, five ninety five ninety is where you can text us. That is the people's text line, and it is always open. You know, I was going to go... I was going to get over to Barrios, but you mentioned Whit Whit Merrifield, Ben. And the three steals today uh, puts him, I believe, at 10 stolen bases on the year. It's funny because I remember when spring training hit, you, myself, and Julia Kreutz, we were discussing the idea of Whit Merrifield perhaps being a candidate with the the larger bags and so on this year, but being a candidate for more stolen bases this year because – I remember we looked back at some of his statistics when he was with the Royals and he stole a lot of bases with the Royals and then basically didn't steal any bases whatsoever when he was traded to the Blue Jays last year. And, of course, a part of that had to do with the fact that at least immediately he was not a full-time player. And then, of course, towards the end of the year, he did become a full-time player and certainly still is now to to great effect for the Blue Jays. But three stolen bases, his, his chaos on the base paths, his clean steal attempts, and often successes. We talk about manufacturing runs. It's a big part of what the Blue Jays do, certainly not just today, but just in general.
1: Yeah, it is and and like you said, I mean, Wit ha- has been so much more factored in in that part of the game than he was for the half season last year. But he's been a guy where today even at one point, he's still in before the pitcher's leg is up because he knows the timing of these pitchers so well. And you wonder if although this is obviously not even a league opponent, let alone a divisional opponent, more time in this division has made more comfort him more comfortable with some of the more familiar pitches, but Yeah, like you said, I mean, he goes into double digits today with these three stolen bases. It was only 2021 when he led the American League with 40 stolen bases. He is on pace to just about pass 40 stolen bases this year, which would be only the third time in his career that he's done that. And why not? Arden mentioned during the game, this is the highest rate of stolen bases that has ever existed in Major League Baseball so far. Only a quarter of the way in, but the rules are slanted towards it. He is more familiar with everyone in the team and who he's playing against, and he's really fast and really good at reading pitchers,
0: clearly. He clearly is, absolutely, 100%. And it's funny because I remember going back to spring training again, and I think you take most things in spring training with a slight grain of salt just because it's spring training, but at the same time, there were a ton more attempts in spring training. Very few, in terms of percentage points, increases in people being caught stealing and I think we're seeing it across Major League Baseball. It may have taken a little bit of time for these stolen base attempts to rise league-wide, but basically any team that has even half a speedster are letting their guys steal. I mean, even the even the Braves stole a whole bunch of bases today. That's just... It's something you see across Major League Baseball, and I don't think that's going to change. We're, we've we've passed that point of de- demarcation. It's just that's just how it's going to be from now on, unless they somehow change the rules back, and I I doubt they do that.
1: Yeah, I I think it keeps increasing and increasing at least for a little bit. I think early on teams may have not. Totally bought in that it would have been that much easier, and and for the last you know several years teams had decided that stealing bases a lot of the time wasn't worth it. But as this sample builds up and people continue to steal bases effectively, and teams have more to believe in, I, I just think it keeps rising. I mean, you mentioned the Braves are doing it too. Ronald Acuna Jr. enters today as the National League leader in stolen bases. That's not that unique. He's done that before. He's on pace to steal twice as many bases as he's ever stolen in a season he could steal 70 bases this year and he led the national league in 2019 <laughs> with absurd. 37 that's absurd that's yeah a,
0: that's a, i know it's like probably not going to happen but that's wild though
1: that's like a, your dad says back in my day the guy who finished <laughs> fifth in the league stole 70 bases and right. now it's this day again it's <laughs> happening and it's really exciting and the blue jays whether it was foresight, because a lot of people did predict rules like this were coming, yep. or just some luck, some of the guys they acquired even last year are working out for the new rules this year.
0: Why don't we, I want to talk a little bit about Kevin Kiermaier as well, oh, who, yeah. uh, who was also involved in a lot of uh, manufacturing some chaos on Stole the base, base path. Stole a base. base today as well. Definitely uh, some some great stuff from Ke- Kiermaier, manufacturing runs, out of the nine hole. You heard Arden mention what uh Kiermeyer had said in the uh in spring training again. I know I keep going back to spring training, but the uh, just the simple idea that he wanted to be the best hitter out of the nine hole and in all of Major League Baseball and I mean it's early, it's still May May thirteenth, but he basically is that right now. The very few other teams, if any other team, is having as much success with their nine hitter than uh than the Blue Jays are with Kevin Kiermeyer, so He gets the second on a hit that would be a single, I think, for a lot of other batters. He advances to third on a wild pitch that gets away from Sean Murphy at the plate, and then a very softly hit, Bo hit just over the head of Matt Olson turns into a run that ties the game. And then, even before that, Ben Kiermaier had left his feet after what looked like he kind of overran the ball in the outfield, and... The ball was very quickly dropping, and had that gotten past him, it would have likely rolled all the way to the wall with two guys on base. He was charging on that ball and then kind of hung himself up and then quickly ran up and stabbed the ball out of the air. Great stuff from Kiermaier. Great action on the base pass. He was also, what, three for three, so or three for four, I suppose, yeah, in the end. Yeah, strikes out in his last Stri- Yeah, out. Got, out, got out of the last there, but still, three for three, approaching the last A-B. He was phenomenal today, and it's just, again, like, I don't I don't think we're going to see Kiermaier move Anywhere out of the nine hole anytime soon, I don't think. Look, I see a text here on the text line about Springer. Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, okay, well, I'm a, I'll look for it. Oh, here it is. It's from uh, Lee in Guelph. Uh, I like the lineup they send out today. Need to think about moving Kiermeyer to lead off. And so obviously the, Lee is texting this in because of George Springer. I don't think that's going to happen just because it certainly feels as though Kevin Kiermaier's, a lot of his value does come in turning over like, more often than not, you hope, turning things over while, with him getting on base for the top of the order.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, for, first of all, you know, credit to Kevin Kiermaier, who he said he wanted to be the best nine-hitter in baseball. There are 29 other guys who also want that, and he is the one right now, certainly claiming that crown. He continues to hit really well. I still sometimes, you know, you have to remind yourself who the player has been for a decade, and... And there is likely a regression coming. He keeps pushing that back. Don't get me wrong. That's what we were saying weeks ago. But at the same time, we're still less than a quarter into the major league season. The three balls he hit today were that four base hits were 58, 78, and 71 miles per hour. Some of them had high high expected batting averages, but let's not all kid ourselves. It's a little bit lucky to get two extra base hits if you didn't even hit a ball 80 miles per hour. But his speed creates some of that. One of them he claimed for himself. Yeah. I do think there's something, you know, it's pretty deep into the season now that Springer is still in this funk. I would just guess that truly the team's best hitter so far, in my opinion, Bo Bichette would be the most likely guy to move up to the one spot, if anything. And I I don't think, you know, that would change much with Kiermaier. He and Bichette have been teaming up a ton. It seems like Kiermaier gets on a lot and Bichette hits him in. So I understand why you think you might want to move him up to the one spot, but I think both with... Yeah, you know, just the knowledge of the history of the player, and two, how well Kiermaier is succeeding in this role. I don't know that you want to change things massively for him, add a lot more pressure, and, and risk more chance that his performance changes drastically.
0: Well, on Springer, right? I I think I, I'm willing to give Springer maybe a couple more weeks before we entertain more the idea of moving him, if only yeah. because. So to the start of the season, I think there was a lot of just truly wretched luck for Springer. He was smashing the ball right into guys' gloves, eff- effectively. Especially in some really huge situations that where the third baseman or the shortstop was catching really hard-hit balls that would have scored a couple of runs, probably, and changed the outcome of a couple of games to the point where maybe, maybe you're still talking about a teensy slump, but you're probably not talking about it in the same way, shape, or form. If those had uh, been cashed in, I remember one particularly coming to mind in Houston, where yeah. we talked about it after the, the top three came to the plate with uh, guys on and, and no one out, and they didn't get anything out of it, in large part because of some unfortunate luck to start off with Springer, so those kinds of things, I think, have plagued him, and then, yes, he, he did continue that into a little bit of a slump, and then he got sick, essentially. Right. There's been this illness kind of going around the clubhouse. Got Danny Jansen earlier. I think it's, I think it's like a simple stomach bug, but these guys are around each other all the time. Right. So it's going to happen here, here and there. It's happened to many teams and will continue to happen. I'm sure over the years, but uh, because of that, I, I almost feel like that has put Springer back a teensy bit. It is no doubt a slump, but the quality of player he is, I think still says that you leave him there for now. And I mean, the play of the game today with Ben and Arden was George Springer's leaping grab to keep runs off the board to end an inning to help Barrios out, so he is clearly still contributing if you like if he was having issues on the defensive side as well, then I think maybe you have to you have to t- think about giving him some time off altogether. But when he was sick, as we saw just last week. Like you're saying, Ben, the guy who – I mean, effectively what happened was the entire order just moved up by a spot, and they just put someone at the bottom essentially, right? Like more or less that's what happened. And so Bo is the guy batting leadoff.
1: Every single George Springer day off this year, Bo Bichette has hit leadoff, I I believe. I, I could be mistaken, but I think there's three or four George Springer day offs the whole year. And Bo Bichette has hit leadoff. I mean, he's another guy who can certainly set the table. He's batting 325 this year with an OPS right near 1,000. So, he can be that guy. I, I do agree. I don't think I'm rushing to move Springer uh, too far. And at the same time, by no means, you know, am I, like, swapping Springer and Kiermaier or anything. The absolute lowest I really could see Springer going to is maybe five. Like, he's still hitting yeah, yeah. in a in a very important spot in the lineup. but. You know, like like you said, he's had some luck work against him. He's definitely not been done well by that stomach flu. At the same time, you would hope the hard hit numbers and some of that extra data turns around for him pretty soon because some of it says that he, he's just, frankly, not connecting with the ball as frequently as he was last year. And that's something that uh, Arden talked about today. And if you want to hear a lot more about it, he talked about on At The Letters, too, what kinds of adjustments George is making to try and stop pulling the ball as much.
0: There's no there's no name on this text, and you can still shoot us a text, 590 name and location. If you want to give us a phone call as well, 416-870-0590, 666 590 star 590 on your cellular device. Still some time to shoot us a phone call as well. But on the text line, uh, there's no name on this one, so do leave your name and location so we can give you a shout-out. But this one says, and it's not a bad question, are you okay with George Springer playing good defense and okay offense? And that kind of ties into what we're talking about here. I, I think for now, my answer would be yes. To go back to the kind of the beginning of the Springer conversation, for now it's a yes. If it continues and it's June and it continues, it's May thirteenth as we're discussing it. So in another three weeks or so, then maybe I wouldn't be as okay given his, the, you know, the hefty price tag, what you want him to be be here for. And the other thing, and you brought this up to me, and I think it's a, it was a completely valid point. With Springer no longer in center field, and in right field, and you have Kiermaier and Varshow, sometimes Merrifield's out there. But with Springer, I don't think he's played center field at all this year. No, he has And so, with that being the case, then is it fair to ask for more offensively from Springer if he's being asked to do slightly less defensively? And I, I, frankly, I think the answer to that question is also yes. Yeah, especially you know at the beginning of the year. At this point, I think you
1: ask him to just try and get back to his exactly. averages. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, yeah, I would say by the end of the season, if if you're looking at George and saying, well, the defense was the best thing he did for us this year, that's probably not great. Uh, y- you did sign him to be a hitter more than a defender, especially now that he's not the center fielder. And like you said, even when Keir Meyer's out, Varsho's the center fielder. Yeah. So not that right field isn't important, not that they don't need him to play strong defense. He made a play that had a huge impact on the game today, but you are paying George Springer 20 million dollars in excess a season because you want him to hit a lot of homers and provide a lot of on base out of the top spot
0: yeah still a lot of runway for george springer and like for you sure. said it's i think game if you, 39 yeah if you look at the the win probability chart on like baseball savant i bet the uh there's a lot more blue on that chart once springer makes that catch on the softly hit uh softly hit play from from old eddie rosario who is a speedster himself i mean if that ball oh, yeah. lands like Arden said, there's a there's a, at least a possibility that he maybe scores on that play if Kiermaier can't get over to the ball in time because Springer had to leave his feet. So if that ball gets past Springer, the, the outcome of this game, or at the very least, the way it progressed might be very different, right? So yeah. I think that that's why I'm willing to, to give Springer, as long as he's still contributing on the defensive side of things, you, you, I think you can at least have some runway to let him figure it out here, right? Yeah, certainly.
1: And and I mean, his good is so good that you're willing to sift through some of this stuff if it ends up getting to kind of one of those trademark Springer hot streaks where all of a sudden you can't figure out how anyone can get him out and he picks up a home run once every couple games like it's nobody's business. Like he's he is the type of guy who gets really hot for stretches. And less than, you know, someone who's like a, you know, Whit Merrifield at his peak, they call him two-hit Whit because it was just like, wow, two hits again, two hits again. Springer, it's like he's gone eight for his last 15 with four homers. He's that type of guy. And he could easily settle into one of those streaks as he gets healthier again today. He did have a base hit today at least and stole a base and ended up scoring. So, you know, if things start moving in the right direction, they could move positively fast for George Springer.
0: That is Ben Shulman. I am Show Ali. Before we continue, going back to the text line and check out the phone lines as well. Five ninety-five ninety. Name and location is the People's Text Line. Lots of texts here. We'll get to as many of them as possible. Uh, let's hear a little bit from John Schneider. He just finished wrapping up his uh, his media availability. Here's John Schneider on the little things that made the difference, including a whole boatload of deals.
2: John, there were eight or ten different small things that went right in this game. Was there one in particular you'd been looking for and finally saw, one that really stood out to you? I mean, I think, you know, the defensive plays, you know, George's catch, base running was awesome today um, with KK, um, George, you know, stealing bases, putting pressure on them, uh, huge double play um, with RC at the plate in the eighth, and, um, you know, just little little stuff like that. I thought our bats were really good. You know, the stuff we talk about is grinding out of bats, playing good defense, and being aggressive on the bases. And I thought that our bats against Elder were really good, um, kind of warmed down a little bit. So it wasn't really one thing in particular. Um, you know, I think George's catch was big in the fit there for Hosey. And with those stolen bases, uh, a lot of them were really good jumps, really out ahead of it. So what goes into that timing-wise? Who gets the credit for those? Uh, what do you like about it? I think it's uh, credit always goes to the players. You know, we're giving them the information. Um, you know, they're doing a good job of kind of taking it and, you know, just trusting what they're seeing. So it's um, you know a mindset that you know we've tried to embrace and um, times to push it. I think today was one of those days.
0: That is John Schneider speaking to the media. Most specifically, I think Keegan Matheson of MLB. dot com getting his voice heard there. Uh, great question from Keegan and a great answer from. John Schneider, especially when he talks about wearing down Bryce Elder, and 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 uh, and I think. uh, Oh. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get we'll get uh, Ben just having some uh, some headphone. Here we go. There we we're go. Back. There we're, back. we're back. We're back. No, that's we're
1: that's back. exactly where I was going to go before I was worn down by technology. Wearing down uh, <laughs> Bryce Elder. I, I think that was so huge today. I mean, they forced 19 pitches per inning out of Elder, so they knock him out after the fifth inning get yeah. into this bullpen which they hit yesterday they hit again today and they have to face tomorrow and and they know that they know that it's important even if they weren't going to win this game to try and get some mileage on that bullpen get a couple of guys either set up to pitch back-to-backs today or set up to have a back-to-back opportunity at their hands tomorrow so yeah I think overall for the Blue Jays, they have to be really happy with the approach. They ended up hitting well with runners in scoring position, which is always a good thing. Bo had a big part of that with his two base hits. So, yeah, I totally agree with John Schneider that you know it really started with the fact that they weren't giving strikes away to Bryce Elder. And because of that,
0: got to that bullpen and ended up scoring the three deciding runs off of the relievers. Well, too, in the, the the first run of the game scored by the Blue Jays, they were down 2-0 early because of the home run by Marcelo Zuna, which was just a laser Boy. into the left field seats. like, my goodness. that was a—and we'll get to Barrios in a sec here, but that was pretty much one of maybe a handful of mistakes that Barrios made today. He did grind it out, but, I mean, that was the, the only runs given up by the entire Blue Jays pitching staff today— and the only two runs certainly given up by Jose Barrios. So great stuff by Barrios, or maybe good stuff by Barrios. Maybe it's yeah, more, more, more accurate. But but the, the first run that the Blue Jays got back to make it 2-1 Atlanta was a Whit, a Whit Merrifield ground out. And I thought it was interesting because in that AB as well, I know we already kind of talked about Whit, but he was extremely patient in that AB. And I think that's one of the examples of what Schneider's talking about in that clip in the sense of, he just kept on grinding. He was very patient, a very mature A.B. And that kind of mature process is something we've seen from not just the veteran players, but younger guys as well. Like, but you're basically seeing it across the entire lineup, which is which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in one sense, I called some of the Kevin Kiermeyer base hits lucky, which I still, I do think at times they are, but at the same time, he has some really mature at-bats, in the fact that he's trying to put the bat on the ball and put it on the ground all the time because he knows that that's his best chance. Witt Merrifield in that specific at-bat, putting the ball on the ground, knowing he's a tough guy to double up on a double play because of his speed. And when the Blue Jays do that, it's harder to get them out of ball games. When you're home run dependent and you're trying to you know, trade all three runs in right now instead yeah. of trying to hit you know, a ground ball or a fly ball that could score you one, you end up swinging and missing a lot. The Blue Jays coming up a little bit more calculated this year. You know, are they going to flip as many games where they're down eight or nine runs? Like, you know, the Texas opener last year or anything, that's a little less likely, but I think they hope they get down by that a little less this year with the upgrades that they put into the pitching. And today, like you said, they go down, they find a way back chipping away because they don't need to score four or five in one inning. And when you're hitting a lot of singles, you can score in a lot of innings.
0: Yeah, it's been a it's been a great, different, to a certain degree, approach from the Blue Jays in 2023 than it was I think uh, in 2022. I did mention Jose Barrios. Um, let's start our conversation with Barrios by hearing what John Schneider had to say on Jose's start today.
2: But his outing was good. You know, I think one mistake to Ozuna, the three two heater, kind of middle middle. I thought he was good. Changeup was good. Fastball was good. Other than that pitch to Ozuna, I think, and didn't, you know, didn't. I don't want to say didn't need the breaking ball, um, but kind of adjusted to what they were doing a little bit. So um, that part was, I think, really good from him and Janard to kind of recognize. And then, you know, out in the sixth, yeah, you try to, you know, you look at pitch count, you look at where they are on the lineup, and kind of just trying to lock in specific matchups. Once you get, you know, towards the end of the starter's outing. Um, could have very easily, you know, tried to, you know, rip through one more there in the nine hole, and, um, you know, decided with Jimmy. But I thought today he battled. Um, probably didn't have the command he had last outing, but still uh, made really good pitches when he had to.
0: That is, John Schneider discussing Jose Barrios grinding through a start today, and again the only runs he let up were those uh, two home two runs. Pardon me, two earned runs in the uh, sw- single swing to Marcelo Zuna, which, again, was an absolute laser into the left field seats. But apart from that, I mean, basically, not a lot of other—I mean, a couple of hits, a couple of walks as well. He didn't have a, a ton of strikes, but at the same time, five and two-thirds, six hits, two earned runs, three walks, three strikes, that one homer given up. I don't know— j- Jose Barrios, and it's funny, Ben, because you and I have done just a whole whack of Jose Barrios. Almost every single <laughs> you one. You said Kikuchi starts, right? And we're going to be doing the Kikuchi start oh, yeah. for more <laughs> Jay's talk, which is kind of funny. But it's just going back to his start against the Rays on April 14th. Barrios has actually only led up more than two earned runs once, which was the start against the Red Sox last week. So this afternoon, the two earned runs on the Ozuna home run. You still want to see life be maybe a little... I don't know, easier, a little more efficient. You just want a little bit, a teensy bit smidge more from him. But five and two thirds, I think all all things considered against one of the more dangerous lineups, in Atlanta. I I would take that, frankly. From your effectively from your number four starter, I think you take it.
1: Absolutely. Five and two thirds, two runs, and I mean he was a ground ball being hit a couple inches closer to Whit Merrifield to getting through six. I i don't think it's a secret that he didn't look his best today, and we talked about him being so slurve heavy, and then of course, you know, to even curve us, he ends up throwing only twenty one percent slurves today. But to a certain extent I, I think this is a big start for Barrios because unlike in Pittsburgh where his stuff just looked outrageous and he could locate the slurve wherever he wanted to and fool guys like you were used to seeing him do in Minnesota. He didn't necessarily want to or have the slurve to use all the time right now. And yet, He found a way to get through it. His tough start wasn't a start that resulted in seven or eight earned runs coming up. It it was a good start statistically, and he was able to find a way to get guys out in different ways. Sure, George Springer bailed him out with a diving catch at one point, but your defense is going to do that over a course of a game. So I I think this could be a big part of the growth for Barrios, which is consistency. His, His best starts have always been good, even last season. But can he, even when he doesn't have his best stuff, keep them in the game? And he did that and even more today.
0: He did, and I and I think he, he never he those the Ozuna home run did harm them in that moment and as Schneider said it was one of the only pitches that he didn't love. A middle middle uh, didn't locate great <laughs> yeah. obviously on that it was one. a bad pitch. It was a bad pitch. It was a bad pitch. And he he, <laughs> he made another similar pitch that I think he got away with. Earlier in the game, with that Ronald Acuna Jr. fouled off. Yeah. He, he took a cut at that one, and he missed it. So great, obviously, that he did that. But uh, overall, five and two thirds, two were in runs, uh, three walks, uh, three strikeouts. I think you take it from your fourth starter. Uh, before we hit a quick break here, Ben, I wanted to play one more clip from John Schneider for you. Eric Swanson, featuring heavily into this ball game, to come in after a less than desirable outing from Jimmy Garcia, who did get two important outs. But uh, Eric Swanson did come into this one with the bases loaded. And he got the win today. He's now 2-1 on the season. He went 1-2 and two thirds. He had a walk, but also had a strikeout as well and did, like I said, grab the W. Let's hear what Schneider had to say about Swanson.
1: You mentioned Swanson off the top there. How beneficial is it to you for a manager to have that kind of swing and miss that you can bring in in different spots? Because you didn't really have that last year.
2: Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, kind of matchup proof with the split righties and lefties, I think. And uh, numbers speak for themselves so far for Swanee. but um, he's been invaluable to us so far, and um, not only as a player, as a person in the clubhouse too. But that's a huge spot to come in right there. Um, you know, getting that first strikeout is huge; it kind of opens things up a little bit. But um, can't under, you know, can't overstate how good he's been and how important he is.
0: That is John Schneider speaking about Eric Swanson again. One and two thirds. From Swanson, I see a text here. Ben Brad from Nipigon says, Swanson with the Noble Tiger. This has to be a guy that people were just itching to rag on the front office for acquiring for Teoscar. Could he endear himself any more to fans as the top-end reliever they were clamoring for? And then another one from CMAX in Edmonton. Hey, Sean, Ben, great W today. I actually got to enjoy the final most important innings of the game from the seventh at one of our local bars in Edmonton. I'm on shift at the moment. Final pitch by Romano. Great game by Georgie Swanson. What an acquisition, topped off with a great save by Romano. So a lot of uh, positive, which is nice, a lot of positive texts by Eric Swanson today.
1: Yeah, and he earned them. I mean, you think back a couple games ago in Philadelphia, he came in in a similar spot. It did not work out, and he comes out today, bases loaded again, this time with one out instead of none, but immediately induces what the Blue Jays need. And some people, you know, coming around on this trade, I mean, it's not just one-for-one Swanson for Hernandez. It's a single contract year of Teoscar Hernandez for a not even arbitration player yet in Eric Swanson. The Blue Jays still have a lot of time where they can guarantee, if it's their choice, Eric Swanson is in a Blue Jay logo. And with some of the other struggles, I mean, it's, it's no secret he cleaned up a mess that was made before. They need Swanson right now. He is by far the, you know, Robin to the Batman, which is the closer, of course, in
0: Jordan Romano. So does that mean we can call, start calling Swanson the Boy Wonder? Is he <laughs> I don't too, know. Is he too old you might to have to ask that? him. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's hey, he's 29. He could yes. be the Boy Wonder. It's like maybe like the Nightwing version of, uh, of Robin. <laughs> maybe not like the maybe not like the Tim Drake version. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I'm I'm a huge nerd. I, I get it. Hey, uh, <laughs> I'm in. I uh, I do. want to ask you. You know, I'm a big fan of the Circle of Trust terminology. Yes. Right? So if you look at the Circle of Trust for the Blue Jays relievers. Right now, Ben, you look at where Swanson is, probably as close to the middle as you can probably get, I, w- I would think, right? Him and him and Jordan Romano, certainly. Jimmy Garcia was, I think, for me, I was a huge fan of Jimmy Garcia last year. I still am, but it's just the 2023 version of Jimmy is not the same as the 2022 version of Jimmy Garcia. As a result, I do wonder where you fall on where he is in the 2023 version of the circle of trust. Because it, it, to me, it seems like we're getting closer to the the outer circle, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, although it's – in a way, I don't think that, like, he is moving. It's that the circle is getting smaller. I don't think someone is moving in. Right, right. Like, no one has – and and they – that's why they're semi-reliant on him. I mean, if, if Anthony Bass was dealing and Jimmy Garcia was struggling, it's a whole different situation. But I think they somewhat need one of those two guys at least – to step into a spot where they can pitch at the level they did last season. Again, very early. And Adam Simber, although he didn't pitch as high leverage, I would say, as Jimmy Garcia last year, certainly pitched in a lot of leverage. And, you know, in, in clean innings, like you had mentioned, especially, I think, can be very effective in those spots, pitching a contact. So when he comes back, maybe there's something interesting there. Zach Pop they were pitching in leverage before he went out. And we heard today he's throwing, playing catch at 90 feet. Yeah. So... There are some options. Certainly, you know, would understand not trusting Jimmy the same as last year. He was locked down last year, and and he has struggled to command the ball, really, for much of this season. But until someone else steps into his spot, I do think he'll continue to pitch, you know, Behind, pretty much just behind Eric Swanson. Maybe Tim Mays is ahead of him, but we were saying before the game today, it's so matchup dependent with Mays him being the lone lefty that they have in the bullpen that for Mays, it's more about situations than it is really about what time in the game it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Look, There's a text here from Justin and Barry who says another pen arm is crucial for depth. Let's get one now to expedite the new, uh, <laughs> the new sickness that players have when joining a new team. will help, help us catch the Rays as well. <laughs> I mean, hey, ca- catch They are going to
1: – oh, sorry. You, go ahead. No, go ahead. They are certainly going to add bullpen arms. Even, I think even if Jimmy Garcia wasn't struggling, th- the they good news to. about a bullpen yeah. is it's going to change if you're a good team. You're going yeah. to add to it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who exactly is going to end up on the team. Like you and I kicked around some names, whether it's like a I don't know Daniel Bard's the name, or Kyle Finnegan's the name, or Alexis Diaz, or any of those names. But I, I got you. Got to imagine Ross Atkins is kicking the tires on probably every reliever on a team below 500. I w- I would think, right? So I don't know. I think there's a lot of time left to augment the bullpen because you're right. If you look at the rest of the names in the pen outside of Tim Mesa, you know Pearson. Richards, who's, who has admittedly been very good so far this year, Richards with that changeup of his but, you know, Anthony Bass Jay Jackson, Simber certainly would probably be in the mix when he comes back like you were mentioning but, I mean, a lot of those names you probably would still see Jimmy Garcia pitch in front of so there's still a lot of room for improvement uh, That's Ben Shulman, I'm Ali. Let's take a very quick break, Ben, when we come back, just because there was no Jays talk yesterday because of the Leafs game so let's just quickly wrap up on this game, get to some final few texts and then we'd quickly chat about Chris Bassett's Complete game shutout as well, and a 3 0 win to start off this series against Atlanta. But that's Ben. I'm Show. More Jay's Talk after the break on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali Ben Shulman here with you as the Blue Jays wrap up the series against Atlanta with a 5 2 win today, 3 0 win yesterday. They'll look to sweep the series in a bullpen day tomorrow for Atlanta. say Kikuchi will head to the mound tomorrow as well. Before we chat some Chris Bassett, Ben, I did want to get to the Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. With Bet365, you can watch thousands of live games, build your own bet, and you can even make a bet while the game's still being played. 19 Plus, play responsibly, Ontario only. So the Baltimore Orioles are in action right now, or they're about to be in action, I suppose, in about 10, 15 minutes they're warming up right now, but the uh, St. Louis Cardinals with a furious comeback. The Boston Red Sox were leading 3-0, and the uh, Cardinals did come back to win that one, so they went 4-3 over Boston, and a wild one today in a game that featured both Nestor Cortez Jr. and Shane McClanahan. You and I were talking about this before the game got started today, Ben, but Shane McClanahan had a 6 nothing lead, and he got hit pretty hard after that. Aaron Judge hit two home runs today. Uh the Yankees' backup catcher, went yard. Off Noted of Shane Blue Jay killer, Kyle well. yes, We've seen and heard a lot of uh, Higashioka home runs, both here and elsewhere. But uh, the Yankees do win that one 9-8. So with all that being said, here's how the AL East shakes out. Tampa is 30-11 and 11 before their game today against Pittsburgh. The Baltimore Orioles are... 25 and 13. The Blue Jays, with a win, are 23 and 16. The Yankees are 23 and 18, so they're a full game back of Toronto. And Boston is now in the bottom of the division. They are 22 and 18, half a game back of the New York Yankees. So that's a quick check of the Major League Standings watch. We got a couple minutes left here. Chris Bassett, complete game shutout, Ben, yesterday in game one of this series against Atlanta. Nine innings, just the two hits, nine strikeouts. He was absolutely phenomenal. It's the first complete game shutout over nine innings, I should say, since Mark Burley did it in 2015. The first complete game, again, over nine innings, since Marcus Stroman did it twice in 2017. Of course, there had been other complete games uh, going back a couple years. Hyunjin Ryu doing it over seven innings in 2017. But uh, still, hey, absolutely phenomenal stuff from Chris Bassett. The guy just keeps getting better and better. I don't know how you top this. I know. I know. You can't really.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you could. The second no hitter in franchise history, I guess certainly would, or dare I say the first ever perfect game in Toronto Blue Jays history. But for Bassett, even like this is not usual. This is the second shutout for most guys. It's not usual. The second shutout, he's thrown in 131 career starts. Uh, Certainly, you know, the fact that he has a pretty deep pitch mix allows him not just to go third time through the order sometimes, but in this case, fourth time through the order Ooh. and still succeed. But also, you know, give credit to Alejandro Kirk and the relationship that they've built. Bassett, in his first start working with Danny Jansen, did not end up pitching well. has been working with Kirk a lot since. And they have worked really well. Chris Bassett, since that first start, has been exactly who the Blue Jays paid for and more. I mean, he's really kind of jumped so far into that number two spot, at least confidence-wise, I think, for most right now. Yeah in the starting rotation. And you know, if he was going out, starting a wildcard playoff game or starting a DS playoff game, I think a lot of people would be pretty confident in him. It's early to say that don't get me wrong, but he's pitched really, really well. And this was the cherry on top
0: A very steadying presence. Oh yeah. Maybe I would say, because I think, I think some people were familiar with Bassett from his days with Oakland. Right. But then he goes pitch for the Mets and it's not as though you forget about him because he's been in in major league baseball for, for some time now, but it just, it does feel like the signing in the offseason kind of came out of nowhere, and he got a huge deal on top of it, one of the largest contracts handed out in the offseason, certainly by the Blue Jays. And then he comes out, and he, he got rocked in St. Louis, and every game since then he has been phenomenal. And he also got helped out. i got to give the credit to them. He got helped out by, a, well, certainly John Schneider choosing to leave him in the game, but he also got helped out by some phenomenal defense in game one of this series, Matt Chapman, Uh, making a great play. Bo Bichette, Kevin Kiermaier, Alejandro Kirk, we talked about him snapping a throw down to third. Great stuff from the defense as well.
1: Yeah, they were great backing him up. You're not going to pitch a good game, I think, without good defense, but you still want to give credit, of course, to the guys behind him who did it. And also, you know, before the game when we were talking on 590 and some of the other affiliates discussing the fact that, you know, Alec Manoa had a similar situation last year and didn't get it, a big help to Bassett too yesterday was the fact that Dalton Varsho, homers in the eighth inning makes it a three-run lead instead of a two-run lead that's a little bit of a lower stress scenario for John Schneider and Pete Walker to send out Chris Bassett for the ninth when he knows that not just a guy on and a homer could completely change the game
0: we will see what the finale of this series looks like tomorrow with Yusei Kikuchi on the mound. You excited? Kikuchi more, more, Fest number eight, n- number eight. And <laughs> our like sixth Kikuchi start of the season that we, we're we, doing. We are Yusei Kikuchi uh, experts, I think, at this point. We're the, like we're like season. Kikuchi
1: groupies at I think, a certain point. I think we we are. keep going
0: around to every start he's I think, on. I think we are absolutely <laughs> Kikuchi groupies. That's Ben Shulman. I'm Show Ali. That does it here for blue jays talk thank you for listening to blue jays baseball brought to you by crown rust protection did you know that vehicles rust faster in warmer weather as the weather warms and we all get ready for summer make sure your vehicle is protected from rust with crown visit crown.com for your nearest location hey quickly shout out to my dad it's his birthday today love you dad you're the reason i'm even here so happy birthday happy birthday Uh, mother's day tomorrow means that we will probably celebrate his birthday uh, less than he would like because it's it's my mom's day so I figure the least we can do is give give him a shout-out. So happy birthday, Dad. Love you very much. Uh, for Ben Shulman, Ben Wagner, Arden Zwelling, Tom Young, Andrew Adams, Nick Blackmore, I'm Ali. Thanks for being with us on Jay's Talk this evening. Jay's wrapping up a 5-2 win against Atlanta. Ben and I, the Kikuchi Groupies, are back tomorrow to finish off the series. We'll talk to you then.